0: This is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. This is your host, John McGowan. And three years ago, when I was interviewing for my present job as an Indoor Cycling Instructor, I was asked... What makes you special? My response was that my bike racing experiences helped me tell a great story, one that helps the participants know and feel what it's like to be racing in a criterium or a long time trial. Can you tell a good story? One that adds context while engaging and entertaining your class? My guest today is Jesse Pearsall. I've asked her to come on because she is an adjunct professor of communication studies at Westchester University, and she's a frequent contributor to the spinning newsletter. And most importantly, she's one of us. Jesse's been a spinning instructor at Level 5 Fitness and Conditioning at Malvern, Pennsylvania. Jesse, welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast.
1: Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: We're talking about creating a good story. What got me interested in you is I read an article on the in the Spinning News about literally speaking, where you're taking concepts of what make a good book and applying them to the stories and setting that we set up for a class.
1: That's right. One of the things that impresses me about every time I read a story, or especially when I sit down to, to write a story or even a, um, an essay, is that... There are certain guidelines for creating a story, things like having characters, having a setting, having a plot, you know, basically stuff that unfolds during your story, even having a perspective from which that story is told. It's really some or all of those things can be a part of a good spinning journey. You have 45 minutes or an hour with the people in your class, and you have, as one of your tools, idea that you can take the whole class and turn it into a big story where things happen, um, where the events come to a climax, and where the things sort of resolve at the end, your cool down even. And so I I wanted to explore that a little bit. Of course, in an 800-word essay, you can't um, talk about everything that's related to writing a story, but I talked about four of the, the concepts that I thought really apply, which is character, setting, plot, and then point of view.
0: Talk to me about the setting. I, um, now, well, let's back up just a little bit. You're an indoor cycling instructor at uh, Level Five Fitness and Conditioning. Tell me about your class there.
1: I've been teaching there, I guess, for about three years, and I have, depending on my my teaching schedule, at um, I teach public speaking over at Westchester University. So depending on that schedule from semester to semester, I, I generally pop around a bit on the schedule at level 5. But currently I teach a 5.30 in the evening class on Mondays. But I've I really taught the entire gamut there. I used to have a 6 a.m. class every week. Um, and I've had the night classes. And most recently I had a dedicated lunchtime class, which was a lot of fun too. So I've sort of over the last three years there been in and out of all the different time slots.
0: And so you're taking what people would look at as common communication or public speaking skills, and you're trying to apply them to your class.
1: I think they can be wonderful tools to use, especially as if you've been teaching for a while. It can be tough to keep things fresh. So I think that thinking about spinning from or any cycle class from the perspective of creating a story or from using language to make your class memorable or engaging – sort of gives you another tool to keep things fresh, again. So it's just an alternative, something, something new to try and have fun with.
0: Which is the context of my entire podcast, is that search for some inspiration. You know, for those of us that have done this for many years, you do become stale. So, uh, you know, applying some, something new tends to be motivating to both you and to your class. Let's talk about, you know, forming the story. You know, the first concept that you use is the setting. So, describe how you would go about that.
1: So, one of the things that you want to do when you write a story or an essay or when you set out to put together a class is you have this idea of a sense of place that you need to situate your story or your class in, and sometimes that's the physical room. So, in my case, when I walk into... Our spinning room at level five the walls are dark blue it's not all that compelling of a physical space there's nothing really on the walls we do have some holiday lights that stay up all the way around um, all year round to give it some color but when you walk in there it's not necessarily an inspiring type of setting but at the same time something that I like about it is that it's a blank slate so there's nothing in there that really distracts people so I can if I can capture their imagination somehow there's no physical setting to distract them from that so an example of um, how one way that I use setting is when we do a, a race-type simulation. I like to walk them through a local criterium or a training race that goes on just down the road in Malvern. Most of the folks in my class are not um, competitive bike racers, but I like to bring that setting. It's about a mile around loop in a corporate center down the road that folks every Thursday at 6 p.m., it's 30 laps around the the loop, takes about an hour. It's about 100 to 120 local racers get together and, and practice. I like to simulate that criterion, and I actually use the physical setting. What does it look like? It's a macadam surface. There's a slight hill in it around the front half, the back stretch. There's always a headwind. There's a bump from where they put in a new drainage pipe across the road that you always have to be careful for. So all the little details that make that particular place memorable, in my mind, from my years of training and racing, I try to describe those things and make it be a three-dimensional setting when the folks in class are trying to do their efforts. And to make it more realistic, if you're doing a criterium, it's easier to imagine how it feels and the constraints of that type of effort. If you also have an idea in your mind of, well, what does it look like? Where am I when I'm doing this? So that's kind of what I try to, an example of what I try to bring.
0: As you're saying that, I'm thinking of a story that I'll tell the bike leg of a triathlon that happens west of town. There is a woman who has her home, and the whole front yard is full of flowers. And you can smell these flowers as you're coming back in with for the last quarter mile or so of this 26-mile bike leg. And I described that you start to smell these flowers long before you see them, and you recognize that the time is short. You're just about ready to, you're just about finishing. As you were describing your uh, criterium, I I was right with you. So we've got a setting. So now we're going to talk about a character that you're going to be trying to communicate.
1: There's lots of different ways to approach it, but I'll talk about one example, because I think it's particularly vivid for me. Uh, well, my Halloween ride, because I love Halloween. It's my favorite time of year. So we have a big, very big event for the Halloween ride. But one of my themes throughout that ride is to use characters, specifically characters from Halloween folklore and movies and popular culture throughout the songs. So an example of that is the song Frankenstein from Edgar Winter Group. I actually encourage folks to use the character Frankenstein. We do a climb up for that particular song. I say, think about Frankenstein in this particular song. How does he move? How does he walk? How would you describe that? And it's sort of plodding and slow and deliberate.
0: And everybody understands.
1: Right, because you know, if you t- say, make a plodding pedal stroke, it doesn't really make any sense. Just mm-hmm. A pedal like Frankenstein can give people something to think about. And it's, that's something that for a lot, I right, would think for most people, a very vivid image. And they can say, okay, yeah, I know how he moves. I can see that.
0: And I suppose you could apply that to any character. I mean, if you wanted to be Daffy Duck or whoever, you could. Uh...
1: Sure. And I do sometimes, depending on the ride, but we'll do, I'll, uh, if we're doing sprints, for instance, I'll tell people to pretend that you're a cheetah. You're not a human being. You're a cheetah. You need to be light on your feet. You are effortlessly fast. You're built for speed. When you, you know, be a cheetah when you're doing your effort and be a sloth when you are recovering so sort of channel those different, it could be a person, but it could also be animals. It could be really anything that you want to think of as being a character.
0: And bringing that metaphor, most people will understand. Interesting. Okay, so then the next point, you're going to develop a plot around this whole story. How how do you go about that?
1: When you think about your, if you have an hour-long class, you say, okay, well, how can I divide it? And usually you'll have Physically, what happens, you'll have some sort of a warm-up, and then you'll have the middle portion of your ride where stuff happens, depending on what you're doing in that particular class. And then the last thing you'll have is you'll have your cool-down, or some sort of resolution. So I like to instead of think of it in those parts, think of it more as a plot where you have your your exposition. So you set up your, your scene. What is going to happen in your particular story? So in the case of the Class where we do a criterion style race, I take a fair amount of time laying out what the setting looks like, what we're going to be doing, the rules, give people some exposition. I'll talk about some of the local racers and mention them by name, describe their physical characteristics a little bit so they can see okay, these are the people that are sitting around me, these are who I'm going to be with out on this course. And then when we get into the middle portion of our ride, that's where you have all the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations. Um, when you're doing an effort and you can't go anymore, and where you need to dig deep and find something to keep you going, and then finally you get a little bit of recovery, and how those those ups and downs really correlate to the ups and downs of like an action film or a a story, the or, drama, yeah, or a microcosm of life. I was gonna say,
0: yeah, no, I understand it. Yeah, and it, and yeah, to bring that in and out of the class, just like would happen in a normal movie. You know, you mm-hmm. raise them up and then bring them down, and then. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Can you give us an example of, of a plot that you've used in a class?
1: It's funny. You, when you're talking about your, the triathlon example, I was thinking one of the rides that I do, usually in the dead of winter here in southeastern Pennsylvania, when they're, the days are very short and dark, it seems to be always overcast. I like to whip out the, the Hawaii ride, and I simulate a ride that I did with one of my friends who lived there, she's very fortunate to live in Hawaii, that she took us on on the, the big island. We narrate that whole thing. It sort of starts out with a climb, and then we go up to a little artsy town, and we turn around and come back, and there's always this incredible headwind on the way back. But I use that to kind of guide the ride, or I'll imagine a loop around Honolulu or something like that and really describe what's going on. And we'll, we'll sort of go out of town easy, and then we'll have our hills and valleys and then as we come full circle, we'll cool down and the terrain will change again. So that's kind of what it reminded me of.
0: Lastly, you talk about the point of view.
1: Yeah, point of view is one of those things. And I didn't, when I, certainly when I first started teaching, I never thought to do this. But we're, at least in the spinning program, encouraged to keep people, always keep people sort of engaged in the first person. Keep people solidly inside your body, just experiencing the ride try to quiet all of the other things that the human brain likes to do, which is think about other things, think about the job, reflect on what your class is going to do for you, you know, reflect on whatever, your perfect body that you're going to get out of class. And really one of our jobs as instructors is to keep people in the moment, actually sort of playing around with that idea of you being you in the moment. Um, you can play around with point of view and ask people to be someone else as you in the moment And the example that I'm thinking about is the criterium class that I do when I have people sort of take on the persona of some of the other people in the pack. For example, there are the big, strong, criterium-based riders who have gigantic thighs um, and big, muscular behinds. So imagine that you have that at your disposal the next time we go really hard for a lap. Or imagine that you're in the the pack and you're a little tiny climber. No matter what you look like or imagine yourself as normally, think of yourself as a little tiny lightweight climber. How would you attack that flat stretch along the back that's so windy and you need a lot of power? How would you change? How would you harness that? So kind of just the idea of getting outside yourself and pretending that you're someone else. Or in that case, it's a, a person, but imagining that you're an animal even and channeling those qualities to get yourself outside your own mind and maybe help you find a different part of your workout. Interesting.
0: Now, one thing that, when as I read your article, the one thing I did not see there, though, is that there's the component of preparation because you're, you're not going to be successful if you just try to make it up as you go. I would guess that, you know, having a little pre-class preparation would be valuable.
1: Sure. One place you can prepare, well, before I even talk about that to back up, one thing is, and this is the same, too, if you're, you're writing a story. You don't necessarily pick all of the elements of a story, character setting, plot, point of view, and say, I'm going to use all of these to their fullest potential in my story. The thing you have to think about first is, like, what is your goal? What is your purpose? What is something that you're inspired to do? And maybe pick one of those things to incorporate into your ride. So for the Halloween ride, I pick a lot of music. And there, there are a lot of songs that have to do with character, you know, Witchy Woman and Frankenstein, it's easy to say, okay, these are songs that can revolve around characters. So maybe I'll use that as a theme to put my ride together. Or um, one of the things that I do is if I have just a music mix that I like, I'll go in and I'll imagine what kind of day is it outside? What do we need inside to happen? So if it's a really, really hot day outside, I'll say we really need to cool off. So I'll sort of just imagine what it would be like to pedal around... Alaska in the wintertime and use that to frame the ride.
0: Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> as one that doesn't enjoy winter much, I could see where that would have a little value, but just a little.
1: When it's really, really hot though.
0: <laughs> right, exactly.
1: There's some novelty.
0: But yeah, because I know I it's the end of your article you're talking about, don't, not to overdo it. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And that's the, it's the kind of mistakes that everyone makes when they're first starting to teach You want to jam everything that you've learned and every part of yourself into the ride and have it work. And it doesn't because it's too chock full of stuff and it doesn't get to just sort of unfold naturally as a ride.
0: Talk to me about how you would adapt, you know, language and speaking skills to our story that we've created.
1: Well, this is actually, it's it's an article that I'm putting together for one of the upcoming issues of Spinning News. I teach public speaking, and it, it's funny because every semester I get to a certain point and something really clicks on that we're talking about in class. And I think, wow, that really applies to, to spinning. I can't believe how those two are parallel because on the surface you would think one's a workout and one of them is a, is a speech that you're giving. So th- this semester's revelation was the, the idea of using style and meaning in language to help create a memorable ride or to bring it alive. And some of these ideas come out of the, the textbook that we use, which is um, written by David Zareski, who I don't know if he is a spinner at all, but he is a, an expert in public speaking.
0: And it's, it's all presentation skills, It really, isn't it?
1: On the surface, giving a speech is about, you need to be clear and to get your point across. But beyond that, when you think about some of the most memorable speeches in history, they're put together very very carefully and how the language sounds and the pictures that the language paints has been all very very carefully planned out
0: and it is a i wouldn't say it's a gift but it is a learned talent that you really need to practice isn't it
1: sure yeah it's it's one of it's like anything else lance armstrong climbed on the bike the first time and was a really really good bike racer and uh, certainly people who are Brilliant public speakers, probably the first couple of speeches they gave have that same element of being a lot of potential there. But it's a skill that anyone can certainly get better at, and it's an important skill to get better at as well, because you never know when you're going to have to stand up there in front of your kid's educational council and argue for why a certain book should be included in the curriculum.
0: So what are some of these language skills that you're going to be writing about?
1: Well, there are three broad tools that I thought are especially relevant to spinning, and those are clarity, rhythm, and vividness. And I like to think about those um, to kind of bring them down to a more concrete level. Clarity is about being really, really clear with the language that you use so that people understand your message. A lot of times we'll be up there in front of the room, for example, and it will be perfectly clear in your mind what you're talking about, And then you'll look out and you'll say, why aren't they doing what I thought they they should be doing?
0: (laughs) Yes, you are And it give you
1: that puzzle look and it's like, because what I just said made no sense. So then you have to go back and and investigate. So the idea of clarity has a couple of of components to help with that. And then rhythm has to do with how, how does the language sound? Think of language as music. How does it sound? How does that inspire you? And lastly, the idea of vividness really is how can you use language to create a visual image in your mind
0: all right so give me some examples of clarity
1: okay so uh two of the the concepts that um, may or may not make it into my final draft but would be the idea of using concrete words to bring a message um, down to people to make it very very clear in their minds one example is if you're trying to explain how far it is to the moon from earth you'd say, well, it's it's whatever, it's a trillion miles from here to the moon. And most people kind of think, ah, a trillion miles. But it doesn't really mean anything. But if you can put it into a context of some sort or make it concrete, say from here to the moon, it's driving from the east coast to the west coast of the United States, driving back and forth 5,000 times or whatever. So the idea of giving someone something concrete to focus on rather than leaving it abstract. Um, One of the things that I was thinking about is, imagine if you just said to people in your class, okay, we're going to pedal 60 revolutions per minute right now. Most people nod, okay, 60 revolutions per minute. But if you have a song on that is about 60, you can say, we're going to pedal 60 RPMs. Find the bottom of the pedal stroke on each beat of the music. So it gives it, and this is something that we all do naturally, but it's something worth paying attention to and making sure that we do, is being very concrete about the things that we say in class.
0: How do you communicate resistance or load with clarity?
1: I usually would just use a comparison for that, because I think that's actually the clearest way to present it. So when you say, okay, we're going up a really, really, really steep climb now, I want you to... Imagine that you're, you're pedaling not just through mud, you're pedaling through cement. And it's not cement that's just been poured. This is cement that's set up for a while. It's very, very thick to so kind of give people just a lot of real detail about that.
0: Okay. Rhythm.
1: Rhythm has to do with the pacing and the feel of language. And I think sometimes this is one of the hardest things to understand about language because it's so easy to think about the other parts that go along with rhythm. But if you think about language as music, if you think about um, a favorite song of yours, and think not just about how the song sounds, but take the words out and say them, especially rap music. You don't need anything else going on except the words because the words have been put together in such a way that they have um, this staccato, percussive rhythm behind them. And that's where the energy actually comes from, the rhythm of the sounds, not just the meaning of the words. Um, so a couple of, of concepts that are sort of part of building this pacing and feel into your language are repetition. And this is certainly something out of the, the spinning manual, the idea that if you're saying something important, say it several times. And from public speaking, don't just say it several times. Actually say it the exact same way. So whenever I do an endurance ride, for example, which is at least in, at least in my classes, People always like to feel like they got a good workout and you give them an endurance ride and they're always, sometimes it's a hard sell because they don't leave feeling completely spent from that a lot of times. I like to sell it to them and I I say, we're building a strong foundation for our house. And of course, the house being their body, their workout, um, their cardiovascular conditioning and the foundation being their aerobic base conditioning so I say that not just once, but I say it throughout the class probably 10 times. Remember, we're building a strong foundation for our house today. They won't feel bored, even though you feel like you're being repetitive, they're only hearing it the couple of times that you say it in class, and probably half the time they're not even listening to you, so they only hear it about half of those times.
0: I, I would agree completely, and about especially about the selling it part, because we, as a competitive athlete, you realize, especially this time of year, how important that base is, and yet So many people just want to skip that whole part.
1: I had a couple of years ago, I actually had aerobic deficiency syndrome, I think it's called, where you do all your training at high intensity and you don't do any at low intensity and your body actually becomes sort of maladjusted. It gets out of whack because it's not used to doing any kind of low-level effort, but it immediately knows how to, okay, as soon as you start to exercise, it says, oh, we're going to exercise. That means heart rate. 85% 85% of your maximum and it's um I mean I used to race for years too and I had a pretty good base but just for a short period about six months I didn't have a lot of time and all I was doing was um spinning classes and everyone I went into was a very intense class and I just I wasn't paying attention and after a couple of months I realized I'm like wow every time I climb on this bike my heart rate's just skyrocketing and uh it was weird. I'd actually lost my my base.
0: Oh, I recognize that, and I, and I would agree. I've been to classes where there's just, you know, 100 effort right from the get go. It's kind of like a mountain bike race. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're and I'm thinking as I'm in these classes, thinking I can't do this yeah. because, and yet these people who are clearly not nearly as in the condition I'm in are right along with it and understanding exactly what you've described. They have. Very specific training that allows them to do that, but put them on a bicycle and go off for three or four hours and they'd be nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. You'd have dropped them very quickly.
1: And it's especially interesting to think for that kind of effort, it's like, okay, would you go out and do a mountain bike race four or five times every single week? No, like no, it's it's ridiculous. But that's um that's the level of effort that's going in.
0: Okay. The last component of language you were talking about is vividness.
1: Yes, and I I like to think of vividness. So rhythm is how language sounds, and vividness is how language looks. So this is painting pictures in the minds of your audience or of your participants in your class. And this, for me, is something I use this every single class I teach because I'm a very visual person. It's how I've always related to most of the stuff in my life, but even even workouts. Um, So I need to have a lot of visual things going on. Actually, they're always going on in my mind. It's just a matter of whether or not I talk about them. One of the ideas of, of vividness is description. and It's kind of a simple concept, but it's it can be tough to apply. When you're describing something, it's one thing to say, okay, you're we're going up a really steep climb and your thighs burn, or it's tough to push the pedals over. But what does that really feel like? Description really relies on details. So as you're climbing this climb and your thighs are burning, communicate that to your audience, but be very, very specific. What does it mean when your thighs are burning? How do they feel when your legs are at the top of the pedal stroke? What is it like to extend your leg into the bottom of the pedal stroke and struggle to pull it across the back of the pedal stroke? But really try to be very, and again, being clear using concrete words, like we talked about before, Um, but being very, very specific, using a lot of details helps to bring that alive in the minds of the writers.
0: What else would you like to add?
1: I guess one of the things that I would add is sometimes you'll use these in your class or you'll, whatever, you try something new and you don't hear about it. You don't know, like a lot of times, I go in and I kind of do my thing and, and we're, you know, we'll be talking and laughing in class and then people will leave and you don't really get a sense of, I wonder if that worked. Did they like it? Were they just in a good mood and we had fun or did, they, did it really help with their workout? And it's, uh, it's funny because um, this past Monday when I came in, one of my, my regulars, her name is Happy, and uh, she came in and she she said, remember remember a couple of weeks ago when we had us riding through that swamp? And I said, no, actually, I don't remember that we rode through a swamp. She's like, yeah, yeah. We were doing a climb. We were in South America. There were bugs and snakes. And, and then um, one of the other gals in class said, yeah, yeah, no, there were – I hate snakes. I couldn't stop thinking about these snakes, and we're riding up this hill. And it was uh, it was just funny because I barely remember you know, I started to remember, like, oh, I think I did. I, was, I could see people were getting bored up the climb. So I threw in a little something. And it's funny because now a couple of weeks later, they're still thinking about it.
0: Oh, that's priceless.
1: Yeah. So it was that kind of reinforcement when you get it. and You don't get it very often. You're like, okay. So that is, that is a good thing. That's one
0: of the thoughts I've had for a future podcast is how to elicit comments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's difficult for people who are, you know, making an effort to listen to this podcast to try to get them to give me some feedback as to what they think. Is it is it a value? But even more difficult is especially face to face, because people tend to lie to you uh, when they know you, you know, you ask them, oh, yeah, yeah that was great. But but to have them actually come back to you with a story that that you told and that it was so memorable that weeks later. Well, that's great.
1: It's one of those things that you, if, you can't just ask them, hey, how was that as a class? Because once they get to know you and they like you, and they like you, it doesn't really, they're like, oh, yeah, the cl- okay, class was good, but class was good because they like you. And it's hard. Like, how can you get people to sort of analyze their workout and say, was that, you know, when we went up that, when we rode up the dune of sand that was slipping and sliding, how effective for you was that as a, you know, in, increasing your power output? possible to get that kind of feedback. I have my, uh, my my students in my one public speaking class this semester. I always take a day at the end, and we have sort of a debriefing. We talk about how the semester went, um, talk about stuff that I could improve as an instructor, talk about stuff that they liked, that they got a lot out of. And one of the activities they said they really liked, we simulate a meeting in one of my classes, so they have to get up there with their group members, and and do a meeting but it's kind of like a fake meeting that you would have because it's obviously been scripted and uh, one of the guys said yeah I love that meeting assignment that was so fun and while it was nice that it was fun, I said well okay it was fun, but did you get anything out of it and it's, uh, it's a fine line to cross because like people had fun so yeah they did get a lot out they felt like they got a lot out of it but was it effective?
0: Uh, I don't know well the fact that it was memorable probably means that it had some effect yeah. right?
1: Yeah Yeah, I'll tell
0: myself that. Exactly. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, uh, Jesse, I enjoyed having you on the Indoor Cycle Instructor podcast today, and I will be posting links to your articles as well as uh, some contact information for you. If anyone has any questions, they can um, leave a comment on the post for this podcast. I'd also encourage everyone to uh, give us a rating in iTunes. Um, If When you're there, there's a review, and I don't think I've had any reviews, and I'd love one. So if if you're listening to this and the next time you're on iTunes, I would sure appreciate it. As always, uh, I hope uh, you stay warm and enjoy riding indoors. So until next time, this is John McGowan signing off from the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast.